me to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. Tonight, I'm calling my meal after service my last supper. Tuesday night last Tuesday night during prayer there was a a spirit of intercession that we were flowing in and God said it's time to fast and fasting is not fun it's not easy but it is powerful and it is necessary fasting helps get my flesh out of the way and so I called the church to a three-day fast starting at midnight tonight. We're going to fast all day and all night tomorrow night, all day and all night Tuesday night, and all day on Wednesday not going to eat until after service on Wednesday night and Monday night at seven o'clock we are going to join together I'll just go ahead and tell you so you're not surprised you're not going to feel like praying you're gonna feel like eating but we're gonna pray and I believe as we pray God is going to strengthen our bodies. God is going to strengthen our minds. God is going to strengthen our spirit. And as a young minister who was hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost, I've never... I don't say this to brag, but I don't, I don't want to waste my time when I preach. I don't want to just say words and then not have a move of God. Because that makes me feel like it was just me. So, one evening, I was talking to Brother Willis, and he challenged me. He said, you know, before you preach... If you know in advance enough, he said, I, he said challenge, but I kind of took it as a command to pray and fast for three days before I preached every time I preached. So there were, there were a lot of times, I don't know if he ever did that with you, Brother Heath, but he did that to me. 
and uh, I'm thankful because there were there were a lot of times where the Holy Ghost just moved mightily. There were some times I was frustrated because I had prayed and fasted for three days and then didn't get to preach. Made me so mad. I needed to fast more. I still had some flesh to break. There's something about a, a, a three-day fast. In, in the world of fasting, three days... I know to us it feels like a long time, but if I ask you to fast a week, three days isn't going to seem like a whole lot. Or if I'm going to say, hey, the Lord told me you need to go on a two-week fast. That's 14 days. 14 days, but it's only two weeks. So two weeks sounds like less time than 14 days. Three days doesn't feel like a whole lot then. But let me tell you from my own personal experience, at least for me, the first trailer text me and it popped up on my iPad the first 24 hours is typically the hardest at least for me when I wake up the second morning I'm good it may not work that way for you it's the way it works for me obviously I'm built quite a bit differently than most everybody else here I wish my body would eat itself when I fast, but it's just not the way that it works. So, if you're super, super hungry that first day, then you just, you keep plowing forward. If you're super tempted to eat and you don't want to give in to that temptation, in spite of how badly your flesh wants to give in, then you text somebody or you call somebody and say, hey, man, I want to make it through this. I want to push forward. I want to see what God's going to do. We're in this thing together. We're in this thing. This is a corporate fast. This is a corporate fast. So if you're super tempted, please don't just not text somebody and go eat. Go text somebody. Go call somebody and say, hey, I need you to keep me accountable. I want, I want bands to break. I want the anointing to destroy yokes. The anointing is still in the yoke-destroying business. We felt it here tonight as we started service. Man, there is a spiritual undertow. The Holy Ghost, I believe, is just going to pull us out like a riptide. Just boom. Felt it today as I was in the men's prayer room praying this afternoon. I just felt it. It's that undercurrent. And I know there were some others that were in the sanctuary praying, and you could just feel it when you're walking down the hallway. You could just, it's just. You're getting caught in that, that rip current. Don't fight it. Just let it carry you. Just let it ride. I know there are some that are planning on on their lunch break instead of, or on their breaks throughout the day, then instead of going to the vending machines or going hanging out with their friends who are eating, they're planning on going to their car at work and they're planning on praying in their car and while throughout the day. That's what you do. That's how you get through. That's how you get through. And believe it or not, you're going to get to a point in your walk with God where a three-day fast you can do on the drop of a hat. You felt that, didn't you? I don't feel it. I don't want to get to that point. Yes, you do. 
You want to get to the point where God can say, hey, I need something done, and I can trust you to make it happen. Man, I'm so excited about what God's going to do this next week. I'm so excited that even though Wednesday was my fasting day for the first week, the first full week of July, and I, I knew that we were going to fast this week, I'm so, I was so excited. I went ahead and fasted on Wednesday like I was supposed to. I was so excited that Friday, which is our normal fasting day for our family, I just went ahead and fasted that day too. In fact, Brother Isaiah, I was so excited about what God was going to do that even though today is my normal fasting day again for this week, I went ahead and fasted today too. Look at me. I'm not withered away. I'm not lacking energy. I'm not feeling lethargic. And if this big old fat preacher can do it, so can you. Now I'm going to eat tonight. And I'm going to go in the strength of that meal until Wednesday night. But you come on Wednesday and you see how hard I preach. Feel me? I'm telling you, we're going some places. I feel it. I'm already preaching my message. You just don't even know it yet. We're going some places. And I believe that God is going to do some miraculous things this very week. Thank you to everybody that was in the prayer rooms tonight. I heard the prayer rooms from my office as I was getting ready for service. I thank you for being in the prayer rooms. Thank you for stirring up the gift of God that's in you. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 1. Let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. That's biblical. We'll talk about that another night. Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel. Not here as in this location, but here as in, hey, perk up your ears. Put your listening ears on. The statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive today. That's a lot of us. With us, even us, who are all of us here, live this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, there's a lot they said. You can read that from verse 6 through verse 21. Verse 22, these words, the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. He wrote them in two tables of stone, delivered them unto me. And it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of darkness. For the mountain did burn with fire that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. We know that God talks with men because God lives. 
And we know that God talks with men and men can still live even after God talks to them. We were there. God showed us his glory. I'm going to preach tonight. Not long. But the more you respond, the faster you respond, the shorter I'll preach. Maybe. Show us your glory. Show us your glory glory let's put our bibles down let's go before the lord in prayer jesus i love you jesus i thank you that you're not just the god of the new testament you're the god who has always been you are the god who always will be you are the god who is even right now in this moment in this room with us i pray god that your glory would fall in this place God, I pray that you would challenge my heart. I pray you would compel me forward. God, I pray that someone here in this place tonight would heed or listen to your word and respond positively. God, that they would run toward you into your presence into your presence God we magnify your name we praise your name we thank you and we give you praise we give you honor we give you glory in the name of Jesus God we want you to show us your glory tonight in Jesus name why don't you clap your hands this evening why don't you say to God show us your glory Come on, let's do it again. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 5, one of the most prevalent Old Testament characters. We say characters. It's not a fiction story, but one of the most prevalent Old Testament personalities in Moses. He is the leader of the children of Israel who had allowed God to use him to bring Israel out of the land of Egypt. It was a type and shadow of the Lord delivering the church from the world. Pulling them out of Egypt is very similar to what God has done for you and I in pulling us out of the world, bringing us into the church. In fact, the Old Testament says that he brought them up out of Egypt. He brought them out and he brought them into. He did not just bring them up out of their situation, but he brought them out. And then he brought them into a promised land. Moses in chapter 5 and verse 1 calls all of Israel together. And he says unto them this very familiar uh, saying. In fact, this saying, this three-word statement is repeated six times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. 
It's this phrase, hear, O Israel, that marks the beginning of each new call of God to the people. It's a call for obedience. It's a call of admonishment. The people of God were commanded to hear and to obey. He said, hear, O Israel. It starts in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We find it now in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We find it being the, uh, the cornerstone of Judaism in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 when he said, hear, O Israel. He's calling them to attention. He's saying, I want you to listen and I want you to obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. It's repeated six times. It's a call for hearing. It's a call and a command for obedience. It's as if God understands that if a group of people is going to become a nation, if they are really going to be a people, then it is necessary for them to be educated in the foundational principles of their governance. He's saying, hey, I want you to hear. I want you to listen because I want you to become more than what you are right now. Right now you're like sheep scattered without a shepherd, but I'm calling you. I've got some things to say to you. I've got some things I want to speak into your world, and I don't want to just be breathing out into the atmosphere. I want you to hear, and I want you to obey. God is teaching them the foundational principles of their existence through Moses. These are things that you're going to do if you're going to be called God's people. Or these are things that you don't do if you're going to be God's people. He said, I want you to hear and obey. Listen, that ye may learn them. Well, that sounds cute. What is this, Rosetta Stone? I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn. This language, you're going to learn them, is more than just getting a passing grade. But Brother Isaac, it means to not only accept what God is saying, it's not just to accept the word of God. It's not just to accept the law of God, but the language literally indicates that you need to become an expert. This is not just passing the grade so I can move on and toss a cap in the air and say, hey, baby, I'm out of here. I've learned everything that I need to accomplish this stage of life. He's saying, no, you're going to become an expert in what thus saith the Lord. But it goes beyond just that little word expert. That's cute in and of itself. I'm an expert now. I got a PhD. I got a master's degree. I'm a doctor 
of the law. No, but it's more than just that. It's more than just learning so I can keep the language and the law to myself. But the words learn them. I'm going to become an expert. I'm going to be learned. I'm going to be taught. I'm going to be skillful so I can teach, so I can instruct, so I can train. Let me preach to us, CLT, on this Sunday night. God did never call you out of the world so you can just look pretty and sit on a pew. God didn't call us out of Egypt so we can just be cute little Christians and have it all together. But God called us out so we can learn, so we can be expert, so we can instruct in righteousness. So we can say, hey, when you, if you're going to come to God, these are some things that you're not going to be able to do anymore. These are some things that are not acceptable if you're going to be in God's kingdom any longer. Oh, yeah. I felt that. But guess what? I'm beyond. I have graduated from public opinion. You don't believe. Here, look. It's my cap. There are some things. We need to learn. This word for learn is used 17 times in Deuteronomy alone. Sometimes it's referring to God teaching the people. Notice they have spent 400 years at least in Egypt. They don't remember the voice of God because they've never heard the voice of God. They don't remember Granddaddy Abraham because they never saw Granddaddy Abraham. They don't know Grandpop Isaac because they never met Grandpop Isaac. It's been 400 years. They never met Papal Jacob. They don't know Papa Jacob. They don't know Uncle Joseph. In fact, they never met Reuben. They never met Gad, Naphtali, Judah, Levi. They never met none of them. It's been 400 years and all they know, although they've got God's hand upon their life, they've got Egypt in their blood. They've got the world ingrained in them. All they know is bondage. All they know is slavery. And so they need somebody who can stand up and say, this is not who you were created to be. You were not created to live in bondage. You were not created to be slave to the world. You were not created for the world to use and abuse. You were not created to go through motions. You were not created to be tossed from pillar to post. You were not created to live in instability. You were not created to live beneath your means. But you are a peculiar people. You are a holy nation. You are called for a 
higher purpose but I need somebody who will say I have been around the word of God enough I have made up my mind I'm going to learn the law because somebody needs to be taught Sometimes in scripture, that word for learn is used in reference to God himself teaching the people of Israel. At other times, it's used to reference Moses teaching the people of Israel. But I'm not going to do that. Unless I hear it straight from God. Which version of the Bible you read? Worship. That's the way our world is today. They just want something to worship. And Hollywood's pumping out garbage. And the sports world is pumping out garbage. Entertainment's pumping out garbage. The music industry's pumping out garbage. They want something to worship. Show us your glory. Moses goes back up the mountain. Now God says, here's the stones, but you got to write it yourself. Comes back down. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the people had approached the mountain. Moses had made a line around the mountain. They roped off the entire mountain. Don't come any closer than this. You pray and you fast for three days. Go take a bath. Change your clothes. Because it matters how I appear before the throne of God. God, I'm, I'm willing to do anything to be in your presence. If it means changing my clothes, I'll change my clothes. If it means doing my hair a different way, I'll do my hair a different way. God, I just want to be close to you. I just want to be in your presence. They've already been through all of that. And when they came before the, th before the mountain, the Bible says that the mountain starts shaking and it looks like it's the entire mountain is on fire. And the glory of God comes down and rests upon the mountain. And they're saying, God, we've been in that place and we've seen your glory. And we always think of the glory of God being on the day that Solomon's temple was dedicated in the glory. Kenzie, I know you're tough. I know you can take it. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. Everybody refers to the woman caught in adultery. It's not you. Okay. And they say, you know, what did Jesus tell that woman? Before that. You know, Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? Neither do I condemn thee. Then he said, go and sin no more. They mistake a moment of grace and mercy for permission to sin. So pastor, you just rub them on the back. You say, baby, listen, it's going to be okay. God loves you just the way you are. He does, but he's not loving you the way you are to leave you the way you are. 
It's time we got conviction back. That's still the glory. That's just so Old Testament. Then pray tell me your definition, your translation, Bible scholar of Jude 1, 23, and others save with fear. Why? Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I hate sin. I love that person, but I hate sin. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to taste it. I don't want to touch it. Because I want the glory. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to smell like the world. I don't want to talk like the world. I don't want to walk like the world. I don't want to live like the world. I don't want to sound like the world. I want the glory. If that means the glory has to come down and rebuke me and make me aware of issues in my life, I want the glory even more. The problem with just having the glory the way Solomon had it on the day his temple was consecrated was that appears to be the only time Solomon was in the glory of God he kept himself separated from the glory that brought conviction because the glory that brings conviction says I'm going to marry whoever I want to marry (laughs) the glory that brings conviction says for the sake of peace I'm going to allow this Show me the glory. However you want to come, I want the glory. I want the glory. I've read the rest of of Deuteronomy chapter 5. I know that the people came and said, Moses, listen, I've had all I can take. I can't take anymore. I'm afraid if I take anymore, I'm going to die. And Moses brings it to God, and God said, you know what? They're right for now. I'm going to let them back off for now. Verse 25. While they're going there, I'm going to read 22. These words, the Lord spake unto all who were assembling in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we've heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We've seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. And now, therefore, why should we die? I just had all I can take. But this great fire will consume us. That is the point. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. Pastor, if you preach it any straighter, I don't know if I can handle it. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speak out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? 
Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee and we will hear it and we'll do it. Moses, as a group, we just can't handle it. You, 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 you go, you go, you go. And they're willing to send their pastor somewhere that they're not willing to go themselves. You pray, you fast, you get a word from God. I just don't know. I like coming to church because I get to feel it. But I can't handle being there. I can't handle going that far. Then you don't want the glory. You just want a high. You just want a little drink. We'll hear it. We'll do it. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I've heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such an heart in them. God allowed it. But he wasn't pleased. Let me read it to you the way I feel God was feeling. Oh! There were such an heart in them that they would fear me, respect me enough to know I don't want to kill them. I want to save them. Keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and their children forever. Do we as parents really love our children if we're so quick to pull them from the glory? God, I don't want you. God, it's too heavy. I don't want them to feel that way. Those are my babies. I don't want them to feel so vulnerable. I don't want them to be exposed to that kind of preaching. told you I'm in this deep. I'm not going back now. Do I love my babies if I'll stand between them and the man of God and say, no, I'm sorry, you can't preach to my child like that? Bishop, if for whatever reason you ever hear this message, if you feel I preach to my babies, preach to my babies! If you need to call my children and give them what thus saith the Lord or even what thus saith Bishop, don't you dare slack. Don't you dare hold back. Give it to them with both barrels. I'd rather my children feel temporary discomfort and eternal happiness and eternal reward. What's the alternative, Pastor? The alternative is temporary comfort and eternal damnation. 
alternative, Elder, is a pat on the back, a little encouragement on the backside, a little folding of the hands. And an eternity in hellfire and brimstone. I'm talking fire that's seven times hotter than a fire has ever been known to man. Yet it does not consume them because just as we have a glorified body in heaven, they have a glorified body in hell that cannot be consumed. You hear me? If heaven is real, then hell is real also. If heaven is my reward, then hell is an alternative of eternal damnation where there is weeping. It's not a pity party, Isaiah. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When if you go to hell, the person next to you will be biting you. It's not some sick, twisted zombie apocalypse. You hear your pastor tonight. My God, I feel a boldness on me. Jude one twenty three and others saving with fear, pulling them out of hell's fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal grief that does not end. For the Bible says that the worm dieth not. That means that glorified body is continually being eaten by worms. And you feel every moment, you feel every second, you feel every bite, you feel every time they crawl on you, you feel every time they come out of a body cavity, you feel every time that drops out of your nose, you feel that as you feel your neighbor biting you and gnashing on you with teeth, you feel that as you fall for eternity in the bottomless pit. Oh, you might think it's cute, honey, but you're not going to think it's cute if that's where you find yourself. Show us your glory! Make my babies uncomfortable with your descriptive preaching. If they make heaven their home, what does it matter? The fire of Nebuchadnezzar's furnace had been heated seven times hotter. And that fire was so hot that his mighty men of valor who threw the three Hebrew boys, young men, men of God, we call them three Hebrew boys, they're men, into that flame. The heat was so intense that the flames didn't even have to touch them. The the, the heat killed them instantly. And hell's at least seven times hotter than that. Except you won't die. You're already dead. We want to protect. It's our parental instinct. Don't hurt my children. Don't hurt my baby. I'll fight a circular saw. I'll charge hell with a water pistol. 
That's the way we feel. Then why do you charge your pastor with resistance? If you're that desperate to protect your children, protect them from hell. Show us your glory. And especially the Old Testament, the glory has come to mean the majesty, the splendor that accompanies the revelation of the power or even the character of God. The cloud that descended was a, a visible manifestation of the glory of God. Pillar of fire. The pillar of cloud. We think, or at least we interpret, that the pillar of fire by night was just to give them light. To just give them enough heat to keep the desert winds from chilling them at night. What if God was foreseeing Mount Sinai. And he was saying, I need you to understand that you can be in the presence of the darkness and hear the voice speak out of the darkness and be surrounded by the flames of fire and I will not kill you. What if God was trying to show us that when we come into the house of God and the preaching is hot and the preaching is heavy and it's full of conviction and we start feeling the church hurt. Pastor's just singling me out. What if God's trying to get you to understand that this kind of preaching won't kill you? While, but while the word glory has indeed come to mean the majesty and splendor that accompanies the revelation of the power and the character of God, there's also another aspect to that. The main Hebrew word for glory, which I'm not going to try to pronounce tonight, but it's derived from a root word meaning heaviness. There is weight that comes with the glory. What if looking ahead, those ministers, those Levites, had dropped to the ground because they felt the weight of the glory of God? The glory of God, that term refers to several different things. It refers to the manifestation of His glory in the self-revelation. In other words, when He reveals Himself, when He reveals His character and His being. But the phrase, the glory of God, also refers to the physical manifestation of the divine presence of God. 
Both of those manifestations can be found in Exodus 33, at verses 8 through 18. It's after, again, it's after the golden calf. It's after that incident. It's after those repercussions. Moses walks out to the tabernacle. I'm going to paraphrase for time's sake. The people rise up. They're standing in their tent door. Go on, man of God. They looked out after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. It came to pass as he entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended, stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. It was both self-revelation and the divine presence. All the people saw the cloudy pillar, and they saw it stand at the tabernacle door. All the people arose and worshipped every man in his tent door. Well, what's Moses doing? Why is he going out there? He set the tabernacle outside the camp. Now it's being called the tabernacle of the congregation. Now Moses is showing that if you want to be in God's presence, you've got to get up from where you are. It's not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be easy. That's why when you feel uh, in your your spirit, if, if you're struggling to pray, please know everybody struggles to pray. There's nothing wrong with you. It's okay. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to pacify you. I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you. It's really okay. I don't wake up just raring to pray every day. Sometimes I got to drag myself by the nap of the neck. Say, no, you're going to pray. Sometimes it feels like the tabernacle of congregation is set out away from where it's convenient. What's he doing? What's God going to do in response? The people see the glory of God come down and rest on the tabernacle. It is the Shekinah Glory of God. The word Shekinah, even in its Hebrew, is not found in our Bible, but it's a descriptive word that is used. Uh, it's been be, become known as uh, to describe the glory of the divine presence of God, conventionally represented as light or interpreted symbolically. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Moses said to the Lord, you say it to me. God, you're telling me to bring this people. You're telling me to carry them. You're telling me to lead them. But you've not let me know if you're going to go with me. God, I don't want to do this. If you're not going to be with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. Thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. That I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. 
and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if your presence doesn't go with me, we're not going. I'm not leaving. How can I know that myself and my people, or thy people rather, have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that thou go with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. God, we need to know. They're negotiating the terms of the remaining journey. God, I'm not going if you're not going with me. God, I know I've got to be bound to the people in order to lead them. But God, I've also got to be bound to you. God, I can't just be bound to them as a people. I've got to be bound to you. The Lord said to Moses, I'll do this thing. You found grace in my sight. I know you by name. Okay, God, I've heard that. You've said that now at least twice. Verse 18, I beseech thee, show me your glory. I know what your words say. I hear the words coming out of your mouth. You're talking to me as a man talks to his friend. You're talking to me face to face. But just because I've heard your voice and just because I've heard your word does not mean I've seen your glory. Show me your glory. It's here. We find God leading Moses into the mountain. And he covers Moses with his hand. And Moses sees God's glory. It affects the way he feels. It affects the way he looks. It affects the way that he leads. There's a heaviness associated with the glory. I'm closing. Musicians come. He comes out of that place. You heard me mention it this morning. The people look at him and say, man, we can't handle the glory of God. Cover your face. They were okay with Moses going. But God wanted to know if they were willing to go. There's a heaviness associated with the glory. His purity, His holiness carries with it a weight that will bring conviction. Our carnality does not want 
to be subjected to the glory of God. But ladies and gentlemen, tonight I tell you that we need to experience the weight of the presence of God. We need to feel it. We need to know it. We need to become familiar with the presence of God in such a powerful way that it drives us to become we become aware of the fact that when I feel conviction from the presence of God, when I feel the power and the presence of God in such a strong way that I feel like I need to crawl under a rock and hide, that it's not God trying to condemn me. It's God trying to pull me up higher. It's God wanting to commune with me. It's God wanting to work some things out of my life. I know we want to feel the ecstasy of the glory of God, but can I be excited? satisfied can I be willing to feel a glory that brings with it a heaviness glory that will propel me to be better. A glory that will make me strive harder to become the man that God's called me to be. It's a glory of God that purges me. It washes over me. It draws me closer to God. Our, our flesh will try to tell us it's God pushing us away. But in reality, God is trying to cast us a lifeline that says, listen, I know where you're at. I know what's going on in your world. But I'm here not to crush you, not to grind you to powder, but I'm here trying to get you to fall on the rock Yes, it will break you. It will break a carnal mindset. It will break habits. But do I still want His glory? God's not trying to push you away tonight. God's trying to draw you closer. Is there anybody here tonight that really wants to see the glory? Is there anybody here tonight that's really hungry for the glory? I want to do what I can do so God can then do what only God can do. I want to do my part. I want to pray. I want to read my Bible. I want to be fasting. I want to be spiritually disciplined. I want to be reaching for souls so God can show up, so God can mend, so God can redeem, so God can deliver, so God can regenerate, so God can pour out, so God can heal, so God can help me become. Come on, that's it. God wants to help you. Between the Lord and you, 
at that time. You're standing there before the mountain. I was in the mountain. And I was standing there between God and man. As the man Christ Jesus was lifted off the ground, hanging on a cross, suspended between his spirit and the humanity for which he was dying. He said, I'm the mediator. Moses is the mediator between God and Israel. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up the mount I felt his glory I was afraid it's time we had conviction back in our church services I I was praying last week and I felt it before we ever heard what brother Cox preached on Friday night, this is where I was going. It's time for the church to unabashedly preach against sin. It's time for the people of God to say this is what God says and this is why. Do you want to see his glory? Let me ask you, are you willing to feel it? Patty cake doesn't get it cut. Patty cake ain't going to drive sin out of your world. Patty cake is not going to get you delivered from sin. Patty cake is not going to rescue you from the flames of hell. I just, that's just so Old Testament, Pastor. That's so OT. God's a God of love. He just wants to rub everybody on the back and say, honey, it's going to be okay. He came down and it was so heavy and so strong that people could not stand to minister. But on that day when the glory of God came down, you want to know what they felt? They felt conviction. They felt condemnation. They felt, my Lord, I can't be in his presence because there's too much going on in my world. Do we really want to see the glory? Do we want to see the kind of glory that makes me want to change? Do we want to see the kind of glory that calls me deeper? Do we really want to see the glory of God? We think that when we come to the house, we just go, oh. We're just going to dance around and sing Kumbaya. Honey, this ain't no social club. We're going to have days where we leave and we feel good about ourselves. But there's also going to be some times when we come in and God runs us through the ringer. 
But let me tell you the difference between a child of God and a child of Satan. When we come into the house of God, it's all about a choice. When the Holy Ghost starts moving on me and I feel some conviction and I feel the preacher stepping on my toe. I'm not dancing, honey. I'm trying to get away from the pain sometimes. Where my fur gets rubbed the wrong way. My dad used to say, you know what? If the cat's getting rubbed the wrong way, turn the cat around. My feathers are getting ruffled. Turn the bird around. That's the difference between somebody who says, I really want to see his glory, and somebody that says, you know what? I just don't think all that's necessary. How am I going to respond when things start getting hot and heavy, let me tell you, that's still the glory of God. In fact, that's the glory of God, unlike anything other people have seen before. It's the glory of God that says, you know what? He loves me so much. He's willing to make me uncomfortable. He's willing to chance me making an incorrect decision because he loves me that much. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. It was hot. It was heavy. He was talking to you out of darkness. You couldn't see where to turn and you didn't know what was going on. It was hot. It was heavy. But you understood God is speaking to me even when it's hot, even when it's heavy, even when it feels like darkness is smothering me and I don't know how it's going to work out. I want to see his glory. Let me tell you the beauty about being part of the church. Verse 5 Moses said, I stood beaten. His mind says, You still need a pastor. Well, I got Google. That's not what the word says. I'm I'm really trying to behave. That's why there's long pauses, because I'm filtering everything before it comes out of my mouth. So you know, if you hear it, I approve. You cannot just rely On God to just spell everything out for you. How many of the children of Israel, out of the millions that came out of the land of Egypt, how many heard the voice of God as they're standing there on the bank of the Red Sea? I'm preaching about the glory. We're going to get there in a minute. Oh, no. Pharaoh's behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. Some biblical historians will tell you that it wasn't really that great of a miracle because they all walked across in ankle or knee-deep water. Then pray tell me why they were so afraid. 
if that's even the case. I'll, I'll give you the fact. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Then the miracle happens to be the fact that God drowned horses and men of valor and Pharaoh's entire army in knee-deep water. I mean, you tell me what the bigger miracle was. A bunch of Egypt soldiers and Pharaoh himself said, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and ingest. Okay, that was me. Pray tell me who heard from God. There are going to be times in your life when you can't hear from God and you need Moses to say, guess what? This is where the mountain starts. Sometimes it's referring to God teaching. Other times it's referring to Moses teaching. It's also used to refer to the people teaching the next generation the things of God. In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, he goes on throughout that chapter. He said, you tell your children to bind it as frontlets between their eyes. It's going to be the first thing they see in the morning and the last thing they see before they go to bed. It's going to be the first thing they see when they exit the home and it's going to be the first thing they see when they come into the house and the last thing it's going to cover them from everything that the world's got going on. Am I preaching to anybody tonight that wants to see the glory of God? You're going to hear and you're going to obey that you may learn them and keep them. I've got some things that I've kept that I don't particularly care about. If somebody threw it away, I wouldn't even know it was gone. That's not what keep them means. That doesn't mean be a hoarder. I'm just going to hoard the word. I don't know where it's at, but I got it. I think it's in the garage somewhere. I think. It might be on top of the fridge. You know, I, there was a sound I heard the other day. Something fell behind the fridge. Maybe that's where it's at. That's not what keep them is referring to. The language literally means to keep watch, to preserve. It goes even further to say as in to be a bodyguard. As in this is the law of God and you're not getting close to my relationship with God. Cast down the imagination of the mind and every high thing that exalted itself against what? Against the knowledge of God. This is who I know God to be and you're not going to get within 10 feet of it because I've got a bodyguard on the walls of God in my life and I want it, I want it, I want it that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. means to accomplish them. It's more than just going through motions. It's coming to an expected end. Preaching about the glory. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. 
The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us. The language indicates that while people had had experiences with God before, it wasn't like this. It was not like this. Now, the language leaves it kind of open-ended. That There are going to be others down the road that can have similar experiences. But nobody had ever experienced it like this before. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount, out of the midst of the fire. Let me lay some background here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, they have already been to Mount Sinai. They've already been to Horeb. In fact, Moses comes down the first time after being gone for 40 days. And what does he and Joshua find? They're coming down the mountain and Joshua says, Mo, sir, pastor, probably didn't call him Mo, pastor, I hear a noise. It sounds like war in the camp. It was the sound of war, spiritual warfare. And they come down around that last bend on that trail. And what do they see but a golden calf in the midst of the camp. And Aaron is there performing priestly rites. And the people are there. And they're dancing in front of this calf naked. False doctrine will always tell you it's okay to take your clothes off in public. (laughs) Here we go. False doctrine will always tell you that the less you wear, the more glory you're going to get. But God said the glory belongs to me. I created you in order for myself to get glory. And my glory, I will not give to another. If if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, honey, there are some things that you need to put away. You need to put away nakedness. You need to put away idol worship. You need to put away the lust of your flesh and the lust of your eyes and the pride of life if you really want to experience the glory. And you need to put away anything that exalts that kind of garbage. They come down the mountain. There they see Israel worshiping naked. Cutting themselves. And you think this whole cutting movement is new? No, honey, it gets its roots in idolatry. Because my God doesn't love me enough, and so I've got to to draw blood so I can feel something, because I don't feel this God. I'm thankful for deliverance. If the voice in your mind is telling you that cutting is the answer, you can take it to the bank, honey. That's not the voice of God. That is the voice of Satan. That is the voice of Lucifer. That's the voice of the devil. That's the voice of the dragon whose wages he pays are death. And he wants you to self-destruct. But I'm preaching to some folks tonight that don't want to self-destruct. They want the glory. They've already been down this road. 
They come down from the mount. They hear the noise of war. And Moses gets mad. And he takes the tables of stone that God had written in, in his own handwriting. Man. All the books of the Bible were initially penned by man's hand as they were moved on, the Bible says, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But those original tablets of stone with the law, that was God's handwriting. Moses is aggravated, and I understand. He's mad. He's upset. I just got done on a 40-day fast in the presence of God, talking with God face to face, and now I come down to this. And he slams the tablets down, and they go down, and it's a mess. Read the story. He makes them take that golden calf and grind it into pieces. He dumps it in the water and makes them drink it. And you thought gold flake vodka, vodka came up with it all on its own. Imitation, baby. Go ahead, drink your idol. <laughs> I'm in this deep. It's not going to get any better. If you're getting uncomfortable, you might as well get ready for the glory because we're going to feel it here in a minute. He makes him drink it. And, 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 the medical community will say it wasn't just painful going down. It was painful coming out. There were folks that died that day. There was plague that came. There was, all, there was judgment that happened. They've already been there. They've already been through that. And they're saying to Moses, Moses, we saw you go up, but we hadn't seen you for 40 days. We didn't know if you were dead, alive. We didn't know if God was real or if God was fake. We just wanted something to 